Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NELA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Max Barrett. And I'm Ahmed Bindra. Still know our names. And today we are lucky enough again to be welcoming Lorena Blonsky on of LMB Associates, the founder and president, a certified women-owned business enterprise. I encourage folks to go back and listen to Lorena's first, Lorena, excuse me, it's been a long day. I encourage folks to listen to Lorena's first episode when we did a little bit of a deeper dive into her background. Um, but today we're once again going to talk a little bit about her field and sort of hop around asking her some questions about the hiring and recruiting processes. Lorena, welcome back. Thank you. So last time we talked a little bit about how you ended up doing this sort of work, how you ended up on your own, some hiring trends and and the great resignation. And we want to kind of keep diving into these topics. Let's start with after you've been hired, because it seems to me I know with recruiters we've worked with as a firm, sometimes in terms of being paid, there are questions about, well, somebody's got to last a certain amount of time at a job. And just because I know you and I know your integrity and how you care about your work, you obviously care very deeply that this is a successful match for both the candidate and the client. What advice do you have for folks as they start the job? Does your work with them end the moment the the signature comes in? Or do you try to do anything to make sure it lasts? I check in with them, but they are establishing a relationship with the employer. The employer and the employee are establishing a relationship, how they're going to work together and what the responsibilities are. And I'm not really involved in that. I'm not involved in the onboarding process. Usually they have an HR department that does that or the, the hiring manager does that. We talk through that a little bit if they want to, if the client wants to, which the client being the company, because it is very important to welcome a new person properly and to make sure that they have the resources that they need to do the job and feel comfortable asking for assistance or knowing who to go to for different kinds of things. So as anyone who starts a new job probably is aware these days, usually you have a laptop or some kind of computer at your desk. You have a phone that works, you have a place to sit. You know, there are very easy things to make sure happen. A lot of my clients will say things like they can't start on Monday. We can't get their computer there in time. We we need them to start on X date because we want to make sure that we have all the things in place that they are comfortable starting and that we're ready for them. So that's the sign of a good employer that is being careful to make sure that they are preparing for their new employee. Let's back up a step. Uh, What advice do you have for a candidate right before they start in terms of they've interviewed, they're likely going to get an offer, but now they're negotiating. Do you have conversations there too or no? Of course. (laughs) Yes, I do. I have insight into what that salary range is. I have permission from my client to talk through some of that where I don't. I've 
asked the candidate in the very first conversation what they're ideally looking for in terms of dollars. If they're out of the range of possibility, I tell them right away. I tell them if they're interested in this role, this is what it will pay. It might go to this, but chances are it's going to be in this range. They can either choose to say, yes, I'm interested or gee, too bad, but I'm not willing to take a job at that level. And then that just ends the conversation about that particular opportunity. But I look for honesty right up front and they get it from me also. So I hope that we don't have a problem at the end. That doesn't mean that people sometimes don't take the job that is offered because somebody particularly in the technology space could have five offers these days in many spaces they could have multiple offers and so sometimes they're going with the offer that is the highest bidder they should be going with the offer that is the most comfortable for them that they think will fit their career goals best and which also in that light pays the best dollars. So if they're equal, all thing, all other things being equal, then why not go with the one that pays more? But then again, your commute could be five minutes versus an hour and a half. So there's a lot of different factors and we talk through those factors. And maybe it's just my world, but I look at non-competes a lot. So I know if I'm working with clients who have multiple offers on the table, that's definitely going to be part of the process or one of the factors. What are things that often these candidates underappreciate as something they should be factoring higher on their list. So one thing you mentioned a second ago was commute. Obviously, if you're going to have a short commute, that could be a good distinguishing factor between two opportunities. Are there other things that candidates often just don't think about but are really important? Yes. Besides the usual things, because you tend to look at the dollars, some candidates, particularly finance candidates will ask for all the benefit information and they will go through it with a fine tooth comb because that's their skill set, financial analysis. So they want to know exactly how much money more or less is going out of their pocket between one job and the next, which You know, there are other factors also. It could be tuition reimbursement. It could be that your doctors are in network. It could be that there's paternity leave. There could be a whole slew of things depending upon your specific situation. Maybe you have an office as opposed to a cubicle. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's what you wear to work. Some people absolutely do not want to wear a suit and tie or a skirt or, you know, closed toed shoes, whatever, you know, have you, have you had people refuse jobs or withdraw because they had to put shoes on? Not shoes, closed toed shoes. I I consider that just putting shoes on, but yes, I understand. I think you're not going to wear sandals to work, but some people want to wear sandals to work and it would be female rather than male. Oh, well, that's fair. I hadn't thought about it that way. I was just thinking of dudes dudes insisting on wearing sweats and flip-flops is my thought, but I actually, I, I mean, now that people want to work hybrid, I bet that is a bigger a higher item on the list. It can be. It depends on the company, but there is a corporate culture at every company. You should know what it is and you should feel comfortable with it. When that's a good segue, in our last episode, you had talked about how when you're working with candidates, you basically hand them a file. But for folks who aren't working with you, what research should they be doing into the companies that they're interviewing with? 
You know, I'm going to back up because people ask me what the best way to do a job search is. And frankly, it's not necessarily to go through a recruiter because recruiters only have certain jobs, right? But there are a lot of jobs out there. There are a lot of companies you might be interested in. You should be going on LinkedIn, finding connections and asking people for a moment of their time and asking them for help. You talk to people at a company and you get a sense of an organization. You talk to someone who has a friend at a company, a friend of a friend of a friend, and you get connected to one, to the next, to the next, so that you can talk to somebody about how it really is to work there. What are your hours like? What kind of flexibility do you have? How do, do you know this hiring manager and what's his or her reputation? I mean, there are ways to find things out about people. You need to do the homework though, to do, to get that information. So you're asking me, what can they do? They're all of those things. I'm not sharing any private information that they can't find without me. So they need to find it without me if I'm not representing them. We had one guest on who answered the question by saying they should look at the company bathrooms because if the bathrooms are nice and kept clean, that indicates something about the company culture. It indicates that they have a good janitor and they're paying them or a good, good cleanup crew. And that's a very good thing, but that's not the only thing, you know, if, if the hiring manager, it it speaks condescendingly to everyone on the team and nobody's ever good enough, or that person always takes the credit and never gives it to anybody else, then perhaps that's not the best person to work for, but you're going to feel a comfort level, hopefully in an interview with that person. So you want to interview them as I've said this last time, you want to interview them as much as they interview you. For instance, you might say something like when, can you give me an example of someone that you, you know, were impressed with on your team and gave credit and, you know, and and how did you do that? Do you ever counsel, I think, and I don't remember if this was that same guest, Susan Gotham or Amy Gardner or Carolyn Eberman. We've, we've talked to a few folks in the HR or in the recruiting or coaching space. So I don't remember who said this. Somebody recommended that you get permission to talk to some folks who are not in management, who may not have as vested an interest in painting as rosy a picture of the organization or might be more likely to be honest about it. And obviously there are ways around that, right? You find somebody on LinkedIn or you get a mutual connection. That's why it's nice to have a network because it's nice to know somebody you can pump for information and say, hey, do you know anybody here? But if you don't, is that advice you'll ever give? Or do you think that's a red flag that employers might get antsy about? I might say, may I speak to at least one coworker, you know, or one or two coworkers? I I think it depends on how many people you meet at the organization and if they let you do it. I, I usually, you know, a lot of my clients want people to meet coworkers. They want a lot of input about the candidate and they want the candidate to feel comfortable with the people in the organization. So that's a good sign, but it's not necessarily the only, the only sign because they want to get people on board. The person is anxious to accept a job. Everybody wants to move fast. And, and so it, or they need to make a decision quickly and the people aren't available. So there's all different scenarios there. So I can't say specifically, but it's not a bad idea to meet a couple of people in the organization. That is definitely true. One thing I just generally like to do is, and this is not even when I'm interviewing, just if I go to a bar, for example, I kind of just want to see, do people enjoy being here? So just looking around, especially when it's not the, you know, if you're in an interview, you're going to interview with someone who's going to give you a rosy colored glance of everything. 
but how are all the other people? Are they happy? They look miserable. Are they enjoying their day to day? How are those interactions? Right. That's great. And if you're not on Zoom and you're going in, that's terrific. And that's a good reason for why you need to see people in person, because you can only see that you can't hear it on Zoom. Yeah, that's a good question, too, which is how does this process change when the interview is going to be via Zoom? Should candidates say, look, I'd rather do this in person or what do you what are your thoughts? No, I think that you need to get through sometimes one or two interviews on Zoom. It makes it easier for everyone, including the candidate. But then if you're serious and you want to move forward, both parties want to move forward then it would be a very good idea to meet in person and get a chance to see the office and to meet some of the people in, on the team. That's how I would phrase it. I would really appreciate the opportunity to see the office, meet you in person, and, and meet some other people on the team so that I can get a good sense of the organization. If companies are dodgy about that, is it sort of the same situation if they're unwilling to do that or they look sideways? Does that does that make you uncomfortable? Does that the kind of thing that should set somebody off? It could, but it doesn't necessarily. I think it depends on the organization. I think it depends on a lot of things. There are so many different factors there. I mean, maybe everybody's high, everybody's hybrid or everybody's at home. Mostly, I, you know, I don't know. So we were hoping you were going to meet this person today, but this one's on vacation and this one's working from home and this one, you know, so who? that's not necessarily a lie, you know, it's just maybe the way it is, but I am sure there is someone in the organization that they should be able to meet that day. And if no one else, they can meet the receptionist. Also, yes. Receptionists and people that sweep the floor know a lot about the company. They're also, I am firmly convinced, the only reasons these companies can ever function. Give me a law firm that employs paralegals and support staff that's not just the lawyers, and you take those people out, and that law firm will grind to a halt immediately. Correct. Um, Correct. All those people are super important, and you cannot forget it. Nope. You cannot. So I, I guess to that end, well, maybe not to that end, just in general, what about folks? So we talked about the great resignation. So for people that maybe didn't quit their jobs, but are just feeling lost, maybe they don't like the path they're on and they feel like they've been in a field too long. It's too, I know people or people I'm close to where it's like, well, I hate this industry, but I've been, it's all I know how to do, or what else would I do? What do you, what do you recommend for people feeling lost with the, with the knowledge that lost is a very broad term here? There are a lot of career coaches out there. You interview a few, you pick one, and you talk honestly about what you like and you don't like and what you want to do and what your motivations are. What are the most important things to you? Because people choose industries, careers for a lot of different reasons. And you guys who are younger than I am know very well that people may have multiple careers these days. They may change completely from 10 years and then 10 years and then 10 years. I mean, who knows, right? There are jobs that haven't been created that are being created all the time, different kinds of jobs. People get trained in different kinds of things. You know, I, I have this specialty in technology. I have plenty of people that have decided to go back and get technology skills and they start in the technology field and they do it not in their 20s, in their 30s, or maybe even their 40s. The first jobs are always the hardest one to get, no matter what industry you're in, because you're not a proven commodity to anybody. 
And then after that, it gets easier. But there are those that are willing to take a chance on somebody and start them and train them and get them up to speed. And many people know that older employees are more likely rather than less likely to stay in a job, all things being equal. So that brings up a question I've always wondered, which is when you're changed, you had a career, you change careers midlife, that has to be mentally really difficult because you've gone from a situation where you know what you're doing, you're super successful, and now you're kind of starting over. What advice do you have for those specific types of employees or candidates on how to manage mentally that struggle of starting over after you've already been successful? You recognize that if you have been successful once, you can be successful again, that it is going to take a lot of hard work. And though you are older, doesn't mean you don't have the energy to do it. So you need to, it's a positive mindset and a mindset that says, I'm going to figure this out. That may be a simple answer, but that's the only one I've got. Do you think that certificates are a, a, not late, but mid-career degree, I guess degree is different, but like certificates of a course or that sort of thing are, are ever considered by employers? Like, do they care about that sort of thing? Some do, some don't. It depends on the industry. In technology, they are looking for certifications often. A lot of times in a project management role, they're looking for a project management certification of some kind. Sometimes they're looking for higher level degrees in roles, depending upon what the industry is. If it's healthcare, for instance, they want people that might have some compliance experience or healthcare industry experience, things that are very specific to certain industries. I think it just depends. I mean, even in human resources, sometimes they want somebody to have a certification. So yes, they always help. I don't think that means you can't get a job, but I think they, the more boxes you check, the more likely it is that you might get an interview. What about leadership training just while you're already in a role or, or, or maybe on your own? I mean, I've only ever really heard of it as like, hey, you've been tapped on the shoulder to move up in an organization. They want to give you that skill set or, hey, you're struggling. We think you need help with this. What are your thoughts on leadership training, I guess, conceptually and otherwise? What I would say is that if you are tapped on the shoulder because they see you as a future leader, that's a great thing. Take advantage of the leadership training. If you're tapped on the shoulder to say that you need some help, take the help or you might lose your job. And they probably aren't going to tell you you need the help unless you really need the help. And everybody in between should be looking for opportunities if they're interested in leadership to take advantage of opportunities when they exist and to make it clear to people in the organization that they are looking for those opportunities because sometimes people just don't know. Others don't want leadership opportunities. They're happy in the jobs they're in. Some of some people that are very high functioning, hard charging, always want to succeed more, 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 won't understand that mentality. But there is a mentality that says, I want to do my job. I want to leave at five o'clock. I want to feel good about what I do. And I want to go home to my family. That's okay. That's a different kind of person and a different kind of business model, industry, job function, whatever, but know know what you want and go after it. I feel all too often you have folks who advance into management and leadership positions advancing 
not necessarily because they have those skills, but they're good at the technical side. And then there's not enough resources to get good at being a manager or a leader. That probably is very true. And therefore they may need to go somewhere else to get that leadership training if they can't get it where they are. At the same time, I will say that people call me and say, well, here's all my credentials. Look how smart I am. You are very smart. Look at all my certifications. Now I have my project management certificate. Now I, I, you know, I know I can do this. I want to be a manager. I don't want to do the work anymore. You know, I, I want to manage other people. They don't have any training in managing, but they think they should be a manager because they have 20 years in and they're really good at what they do. So they're really good at what they do. So they can be hired in a lot of places to do what they already do, but to do something different is a lot harder. You got to try as much as you can in the place where you are to get that experience or take a lateral move to a place that you hope or tries to convince you that they will definitely put you in, give you those opportunities. Well, this, this has been wonderful. Oh, sorry, Max. I have one last question before we wrap up, because we talked about the, the leadership training and, you know, maybe you're tapped on the shoulder versus, Hey, it's not going well. Is there ever a moment where it's time to get out? I mean, we, that you counsel candidates or that you, you know, when you talk to folks, it's like, yeah, it's probably time to pull the plug. I mean, we see people get performance improvement plans, PIPs all the time. And I have to be honest, I don't know that I've ever actually seen somebody successfully get off of one. It's usually the last step to papering a file, justifiably or not, to push somebody out. Is that the moment? Is there a different moment? Is that something you talk to folks about? I think I gave you a few examples last time of people that were in situations like the woman who was working 50 hours a, a week, only getting paid for 40, told she had to work 50, was being paid on an hourly basis and didn't get paid for that extra 10 hours. That's time to get out. If you do have a performance issue and you don't feel that they really want you anymore, it's probably better to cut bait. (laughs) It's probably better to cut the cord or start looking. There are all kinds of reasons. A new manager comes in. I mean, I hear people, you know, I've had four managers in the last six months. They want to bring in their own people. They're trying to push me out. You should be looking, you know, if the company is going downhill, I've had people calling me saying, look, my job is secure right now. I don't know if it's going to be next week. Maybe you should be looking. So there's all kinds of reasons like that, because you need to take care of yourself first. We're all, yes, you want to take care of your organization, but you need to take care of yourself and your family first. I also think you're in a better negotiation spot for compensation if you're employed and looking versus if you've just been separated. That is absolutely true. You may have a package that makes it a little easier, but sometimes people think they're going to get a package. They're going to wait. They're going to have summer with their family. They're going to start in the fall. And then all of a sudden the market's not that good. And they're having a much harder time finding a job than they thought they would. So yes, it's always better to have that job and look but sometimes they'll give you a golden handcuff that says, please stay until the bitter end, till we close our doors, we'll pay you all this money, and then you can look. And, you know, that's a that's a negotiation and a, a dance to try to figure out when the best time to do that is. And sometimes you can figure out a way to do both. That's usually when they call someone like Max or I. Right. Well, this has been overall really wonderful. Remind us again how we find you. 
please go to lmbassociates.com. That is my website. You will find lots of information there. There are helpful articles about how to look for a job. There's all kinds of podcasts, materials from all different kinds of resources. And I strongly suggest you go to the resources page, resources and news page. There's also a page that shows you all the jobs that I, the searches that I'm currently working on that are open searches. And you'll get a sense of salary information, if nothing else, if I don't have the right job for you. Um, and also you can send me a resume from there. You can pick up the phone and call me. And if I can assist you in hiring people for your organizations, let me know that too. I'm definitely going to plug your website. I was there recently and it's, it's really awesome. There's a bunch of Ted talks, everything you would need. So this won't be new to you this time, but we, want to end our episodes with a shout out of the week. So you did this before. Do you have a, again, it can be anything. It can be a book, a TV show, a city, a I pet. I do not watch TV. <laughs> I That's listen new. to books on tape actually, but I'm going to give a shout out to my husband because my husband is my lifelong partner I call him my boyfriend, my first husband and my last husband. He happened to be my boyfriend in high school, all through college and then beyond. So we've been married a very long time, but we also are best friends. And so having someone to be able to talk about your day and someone to listen to you whenever you need it is a very, very wonderful thing. And I never lose sight or appreciation for that. Well, Lorena, we are so grateful and lucky to have had you on. I consider you a good friend. You are an incredible and consummate professional. You are what I, I'll just share with folks. I once sent Lorena, somebody who was a potential client who I passed on thinking it was going to be a great fit. And this person was just off the reservation. And Lorena was so kind and professional about it to that person. And then afterwards to me, when she explained what happened um, and I know her personally and can just say she's brilliant and you all should call her if you have job search questions on the candidate or the client side. I will plug her website as well. And I will again plug her LinkedIn presence, which is incredibly informative and has a lot of good content on it. Lorena, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. To the folks at home, thanks for listening and please subscribe and share. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host's opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.